Welcome to the All of Life podcast from Redemption Church Tempe, where we have conversations on faith, culture, theology, and beyond to help us live all of life, all for Jesus. Let's jump into today's episode. everyone. My name is Warren Williams. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Redemption Tempe, and I'm joined by two other pastors, uh, John Crawford and Josh Butler. What's up? Hey, what's going on? Hey, hey, hey. It's good to have you guys on. And yes. today, guys, we are going to be talking about, um, you know, actually, let me take it a step back. We've been receiving a lot of questions just when it comes to the topic of justice in this past season, mm-hmm. right? There are so many conversations yes. happening on social media and broader culture just around, like, yes. what is justice? Um, what does this look like in a society? What does it look like in the church, right? Mm-hmm. Some of these things that have been, um, these, these, these kind of terms that have been thrown around that we've mm-hmm. all become experts on in the last year of, like, CRT, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, right? Um, uh, postmodern, like, all the, like— Privilege. Yeah, cancel privilege, cancel, all, all these dude, sort of things. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, yeah totally, that have just yeah. been yeah. Um, kind of batted around and mentioned. And, you know, they've mm-hmm. been, the way that they are mentioned often is very in, like, simple terms, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Of, like, well, yeah. this is what cancel culture is. This is what CRT is. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what privilege is. And mm-hmm. I think one of our goals here as we get into the, the, these topics is we want to complexify mm. a lot of these discussions. Yeah. We want to complexify a lot of these terms because, in truth, they are complex. <laughs> yeah, right? very, very, <laughs> very, very complex. Very complex. Yeah, totally. And so, there, how so, do we think yeah. biblically about them? Exactly. Yeah, totally. And so, yeah. and not only complexify them, we want to build a biblical foundation. We want to build. We want to see what is the biblical vision for justice. Yes. What is the what, you know ju- justice? Even what we see, um, you know, how modern society is oriented is a lot of it comes from like the biblical vision, right? Totally, like, yes. Of, of how, who God says we are and how we are creating his image and how we are to interact, interact and treat one another. It comes from the Bible and the Bible speaks very um, powerfully into these things. And so we want to build a biblical vision. Um, we want to work from a biblical vision of justice that we can learn like as God is a God of justice, how do we live that out yes. um, in society, in our church, with as we interact um, with our world? And so... Um, let's get right into it. I don't yeah, think man, we should, do it. <laughs> we should, uh, uh, waste another minute. Um, CRT. Yeah. CRT. This is a, a term again, thrown out very often. Um, I know that it means critical race theory, but I don't know a ton more. I know some more about it, but it feels like everyone's more knowledgeable <laughs> about it than me. I don't think most folks are that knowledgeable. <laughs> People just, and so, just throwing uh, it around. Yeah. Josh, can you, uh, like, Give us the the brief kind of um, I probably shouldn't say brief, but what is the yeah. what, what what is when people mention CRT? What are they referring to? What are some of the differing views within CRT? Can you like bring us up to speed of, of what that is? What is totally CRT? man? Well, okay. So first off, yeah. I found when people ask me the question, dude, what do you think of CRT? Yeah, I found dude one of the first questions I want to ask is why are you asking? Because right? yeah. I found there are two general motives I've seen in the church in this conversation today. Two general motives or backdrops to why people ask this. Um, one is I found some folks I think are asking it because they just want to dismiss or shut down any conversation around race and justice. So as an example, uh, we have talked about race and justice here at Redemption Tempe. We have never mentioned CRT. We've never been driven by CRT. I'd say we've been fully driven by a biblical vision of it. But you have certain camps out there that say, dude, if your church even talks about justice, mentions race, any of those things, they're veering away from the gospel. And I want to say to that, no. Like, if that's the agenda or goal is simply to shut down any conversation around race and justice and themes like that, um, then you got some heart work to do, like, you know, right? Um, Now, uh, I would say, like, the other motive that I've seen often, and this is probably more common in our church and all in in places, is folks going, the second motive can be like, man, I feel like there's this popular movement out there today, and it feels like there's an ideology where I have some concerns with some of the ideology I see taking place in our culture today. I have some concerns with uh, people I know who are, uh, you know, talk about justice a lot, but the way they're talking about it, I can't name it, but it feels off a bit, you know? And and I'd say that is a very legit, I'm in that camp as well. You know, yeah, I, I, dude, I'm sure. all for justice and a biblical vision. I also have some concerns with some of the popular movement today in our culture Absolutely. and even within the church, some of the places, the, the ideological foundation for it. But this would be my claim would be, the best defense is a good offense, yeah. right? Like yeah. if there is an unhealthy vision of justice out there, the best solution is not no vision of justice right. and attacking any talk of justice. The best solution is pressing into, okay, well, what is God's vision for justice? Right. How yes. do we press into that? I think, John, you were saying earlier, dude, like 
2,000, over 2,000 passages in scripture, yeah. God talks about justice. justice. And this yes. speaks to right. God's heartbeat for justice. So yes. we don't want to cede or give over that term to actually being something we can't even talk about anymore because right. some people are concerned about everything. We want to actually press in uh, to a biblical vision because while many unhealthy, there, there are many unhealthy versions of social justice out yeah. there. But biblical justice is always it's social, always social. Yes, right? Like always. Biblical yeah. justice yeah. is always social yeah. because of God's heartbeat for society and for right. the world that we would actually uh, step into his vision for his creation. Absolutely. You know? yes. and so we want to press in rather than retreat when it comes to talk about justice and race. But we do want to ask some of the hard questions go, okay, what is a biblical vision? How mm-hmm. does that maybe uh, confront or clash with some of the visions that are out there today? Yes. All right, so as it relates to CRT, with that said, um, now I'm no expert, dude. I'm a pastor. You know, we're all trying to figure <laughs> yeah, this yeah, out. Yeah, all trying to figure it uh, out. Right. But I would say, as I've tried to press into it, one of the first things to talk about with critical race theory, so it stands for critical race theory, right. one of the first things to talk about and recognize this is complex, right? Yes. I think Jim said once, dude, when people ask me, like, what do you think of CRT? I feel like it's asking me, what do you think of sociology? You know, <laughs> it's like, dude, there's, <laughs> there's right. a lot of diversity yes. and nuance within the thing yes. as a whole. And uh, I'm, I read this book, uh, interesting book this year called uh, Cynical Theories by yeah. Helen Pluckrose, James great Lindsay. Book. Great book, dude. Great they book. are, it's not a Christian book. They're not writing from that perspective, but it's like a mainstream critique of critical theory, mm. which is much bigger than critical race theory. It's a critical theory, Foucault, postmodernism. We'll, we'll talk about that more later. But uh, so there, it's a critique of critical theory. But in cynical theories, uh, in their discussion of critical race theory, one of the things that was interesting was the complexity of it. Right, so they talk about uh, these two camps within critical race theory, uh, and how the early camp would we call like the materialist camp, right? And this is in the 1970s, and they talk about how it arose not out of critical theory, which we'll talk about more in a minute. It arose not out of like postmodernism and all that. It arose in the legal realm, and it yeah. was legitimately looking at going questions around, dude, places where uh, laws and policies were not explicitly racist, yeah, and yet were having an impact that seemed to be implicitly mm, racist, totally. right? Yeah. So you think of things like drug uh, drug laws, right, where yep. uh, drugs that were more prominently used in the black community were more highly penalized and leading to really long sentences right. and things like that, and while drugs that were uh, more predominantly used by the white community were uh, had really minimal fines or sentences and things like that. And so they were looking at things like that going like, um, dude, the— legacy of racism and discrimination in our country like has, has after effects where things that may not even be explicitly racist um, still are having implicitly yeah. I- impacts disproportionately on uh, on people of color. People of color. Yeah. Exactly, right? Yeah. And so the, you have that camp, and that's really like the beginning and the first few decades of the kind of the materialist camp. Um, but then they talk about the postmodern camp that kind of rose to ascendancy where the postmodern camp began drawing on the legacy of critical theory, which is more like yeah. Foucault and postmodern justice. We're going to get into more. And those categories began to become dominant. And uh, and really today, a lot of what you see over the last decade or two has been more the, the postmodern camp driving the conversation. But my point for this is to say two things. One is within CRT, the materialist can't – within it, there's diversity, right? That's one point is there's diversity. Second one is it's interesting. When you read some of the materialist camp's critiques of the postmodern camp – they sound a lot like some of the mature Christian critiques I've heard mm. of CRT, and it's coming from within CRT, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so there's a complexity of conversation within CRT. The word critical in the uh, the materials camp early on, it didn't mean like critical theory, Foucault, postmodern. It meant, dude, let's try and think critically about how are people of color still being affected by things that might not be explicitly about people of color, right? Uh, explicitly stated that way. Whereas in the postmodern camp, the word critical Ticks on different connotations. It means it's a way of looking at the world rooted in postmodern ideology yes. and visions of justice and things like that, that I would say from a Christian perspective are uh, really concerning, right? Yeah. So yes. I can keep going, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think it would be, hel- I know you've, you've kind of alluded to it a couple of times, but I think it would be helpful. You've mentioned postmodern justice. Mm-hmm. Like what, I know that's complex in itself, but what are some of like the ideals of postmodern justice? Totally, man. Do I feel like I've been talking a bit Crawford? Yeah. I know you've done some reading on this. You got, yeah. I mean, I, I think the, you know, if you were to, to really just try to simply define, yeah. uh, postmodern justice, cause once again, this is very complex. Absolutely. Um, Postmodern justice focuses on power. It's it's all about power. Um, and really, I think even uh, zooming out, not even just with uh, 
postmodern justice, but just with postmodernism in general. Right. Because postmodernism is an ideology that isn't just applied to, to justice. Mm-hmm. Um, that postmodernism is defined by skepticism, suspicion. Um, mm-hmm. It is all about deconstructing. It's it's all about there are no moral absolutes. Mm-hmm. There is no absolute truth. And so, therefore, we see postmodernism playing out in a lot of other realms, not yeah. just with critical race theory and critical theory, but even with, I mean, Josh, a lot of the stuff that you've done with gender and sexuality yeah, of right. just kind of postmodernism yeah. that has really, um, really been the, the pathway for a lot right. of these more pressing things in society right now. And so where, where I would say um, when it comes to justice, uh, postmodern justice is very, very subjective. Mm. Um, it's focused mm. on power, but it's also focused specifically on systems. Yes, and that's yes. where that's where the trigger word is. Right. As soon as you say systemic sin or injustice, that's where kind of this blanket label that Josh has just talked about of CRT. You're now labeled CRT right. is essentially the the new label of heretic. It's like right. heretic. You know, you you mentioned <laughs> systemic. Yeah, and and really. It, the postmodern justice is is coming out of what Josh just talked about, out of the civil rights era in the seventies, looking at law, looking at legal, um, you know, a lot of the inequities with with laws, saying, hey, there are some things with systems and structures in our society that are not equal, and yeah. so trying to address those. Though, if I can push on a little, I think that's yeah. great, dude. Everything you said, but the uh, part about it coming out of the civil rights era, I do say a, a lot of folks would say there's a strong contrast between the uh, ideology and ideas driving the civil rights movement Absolutely. versus postmodern justice. Yeah, totally. totally. For sure. Civil rights movement tended to be driven more on like uh, the unity of humanity right. and a calling to equality, you know? Yeah. And we can get into this more later if we want, but I think a lot of the postmodern is focused on really uh, the uh, se- segregation, really, of yeah. people by race, by class, by gender, in a and almost like an obstacle of boundaries that cannot be overcome, right. and competition all against all, and equity versus equality, which is mm-hmm. a distinction we'll get into. So, uh, all that to say, like, there's a kind of a distinction. One of, or Warren, what were you going to say? Man? No, I was just going to. Yeah, it, it it feels like from what I know about critical race theory, the positions in it are somewhat static. Is that mm. would that be an accurate statement? Like, you you know, the the people. Or the person who was at the oppressor end of the spectrum versus the oppressed. Are those positions pretty static? Yes, or like you're, yeah. you're defined by group identity within these go. groups that the system either, you know, yeah, are either yeah. privileged or not because of history. Whereas in the civil rights movement, there was more of like, hey, there's a path. Like we are one people. There's path to reconciliation. That sort of deal. It doesn't feel like there is that. In maybe the postmodern view of critical race theory. Yes. Yeah. And one one of my questions to John, your point, I think is really good about power kind of being at the heart of it. So theologically, I think one of the questions that we can try to biblical versus postmodern justice right. is ask, what is power? And mm. I put it this way: Is power uh, simply a product of the fall? Yeah. In theological yeah. terms, is mm. it only an evil or a bad that needs to be overcome, or is power a creational good that yes has been corrupted, but actually uh, also exists as, as a creational good. And what I mean by that is if you see uh, power, I think postmodern justice sees power entirely in negative terms, entirely yeah. in suspicious yeah. terms, and sees any uh, uses or abuses or any use of power as really rooted in only historical oppression rather than something more complex that can have good and negative sides to it, right? And so then it becomes kind of, we get more into this too, but like an all against all. Like there's these yeah. different groups that are locked in perpetual conflict, and the question is often more how do we Flip the power dynamics where right. those who are on the underside of it actually <laughs> yeah. go over, which is going to create a whole new, you know, the cycle of violence and history yeah. is going to unravel. You know, there's Absolutely. no, whereas I think the Christian vision is more uh, power is a creational good. Like yes. God is all powerful. God has created humanity in his image to exercise power and agency in creation with the yeah. animals, with culture, with all these different things uh, to steward that there are power dynamics within society um, that can, can be healthy and good at times as well, you know? Yeah. Um, and yet... We also hold to the doctrine of sin and going like Mm -hmm. the goodness of creation has also been radically corrupted by sin. And so there are abuses of power that people do and there are abuses of power that have legacies on systems and on different things as well that I think you can't get away from the biblical story and go, dude, Egypt's. uh, Right out of the gate, dude. Tower of Babel, Egypt, Babylon. Like there are systemic – forms that injustice takes in the biblical story that yeah. you just got to screen out if you're going to critique all that. Right. And so, uh, so, but I think as it relates to power is going is 
the diagnostic question I'd want to ask for like biblical versus postmodern, one of them is going, how do you view power? Is it only negative and only something to be overcome? And are you locked in this perpetual conflict of one group versus another? Or do you actually have a vision of power that is has a more healthy complexity? I would say that it's actually yeah. something that God has. God has invested humanity with. It's rooted in creation. And yet we also need to be aware like it can easily be abused and distorted and corrupted and twisted. You know what? Yeah. And that feels like a good segue to another word that we um, brought up in the intro and then we often see batter around of like privilege, mm. right? And we often hear um, terms like white privilege, um, male privilege, like this. It's it's just a, a, a term that is um, basically applied to people. Um, and what is basically implied is that, you know, if you have this thing, then you are the problem with society, right? If you have privilege, then you are the one that you're using your privilege to oppress others. Um, and I think um, as we think about privilege, it's, it's a little bit more complex than that. Um, I think uh, I'd love to hear you guys' ideas on this, but I'll, I'll kind of get us started. Um, you know, when we look at Scripture um, and we see the way privilege is like Abraham had privilege, right? Like their God endows privilege to his people. He endowed privilege to the nation of Israel, right? And the all throughout the Old Testament. And for those, for those of us who have faith and believe in Jesus as Lord, even ourselves, like we are promised to inherit the earth, to, to reign with him forever, that he's never going to leave us or forsake us, the God of the universe. We are mm. deeply connected. Like what a privilege to have. <laughs> um, and so I think the biblical vision of privilege is, is dramatically different um, from uh, what the the way that we see it framed in culture, but with privilege, right? With all those different instances that I even talked about there, the way that the direction of that privilege is not to hold it close to our chest mm-hmm. and to just use it to, um, you know, look down on others. But, you know, as we look at the person who was the most privileged person in scripture, God mm-hmm. himself through Jesus Christ, um, like Philippians 2, it talks about how he didn't account equality uh, uh, with God as something to be grasped. He laid down that privilege yeah. And I think, um, you know, even as we think about privilege, like the way society is set, it's like there will be privileged people, mm. right? Like there, there is privilege is a real thing. But I think the biblical vision of privilege is laying down that privilege for the benefit of the other, laying down that privilege for the, the, the benefit of your brothers and sisters um, and not um, using it to justify yourself. Mm. I would love to hear yeah, some ideas I, on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that or pushback or once, again, once again, if we're yeah. complexifying, right? Like privilege is also something that's very complex. Yeah. Um, but if we're going to talk about CRT, critical race theory, one thing that critical race theory does is demonize privilege yeah. for the sake of privilege sure. because there's these binary categories. Once again, it primary, primary focus point is on uh, with postmodern justice, which CRT is a part of is around power. And so there's these binary categories of there's the oppressed yeah. and there's the oppressor. And so a lot of times privilege is tied up to the amount of power you have. Mm. And so I think, yes, when we look at when we look at Scripture, we see that there's privilege. God's, God's people are, yeah. are privileged. But there's also the complexity of in our society, given the history of America, which, right. Josh, I'd love to hear you because mm. we were talking about this. I'd love to hear you speak on this. Um, that some people have privilege Absolutely. because of some of the historic injustices, mm-hmm. but not all privilege is because of historic injustices. For and sure. so, Josh, would you would you speak on that? Yeah, totally, dude. Just some of the negative backdrops and the positive backdrops Absolutely. for privilege, right? So, I think on the negative side, a negative example would be uh, if you look at housing and redlining historically right. that prevented many African Americans from homeownership, like explicitly, yeah. it was racist policy in the past, yes. right? Um, but that that past policy has a legacy impacting today. So you think about home ownership and how that builds equity in families for generations. And uh, there is a financial reality. If you just look at on average in general um, for white families versus black families and the equity and accumulation of wealth that has been able to be built up over time, um, there is a financial privilege that many, not all, but many uh, on average, you know, that white family families have in general versus black families in general in, in the country because of that history. Um, and that's, uh, that's a reality. And that comes from a negative past historical sure. uh, racist yeah. policy. Discrimination. So I think the, the one of the healthy things that uh, some of the conversations are trying to point to is going like, dude, our history didn't go away. <laughs> like, 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 right. like, it's not like it just, I, I like, uh, 
uh, analogy I've heard John Perkins, uh, Brian Luritz, others use some variation of the analogy of like a, a sports game. Like say you're playing baseball, yeah, and one team's been cheating half the half, half the time, you know, and then sixth inning, yeah. like all right, we're done cheating, we yeah. we passed, we called, we'll play, the rules are changing, we're, changing. Yeah. we're gonna change it now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but okay, now you, and you keep going, but then the second half of the game you're playing, but the score is still like thirty-two to three, right? right. You know, it's like uh, that. There's still um, even though you're not cheating anymore, like perhaps, like there's still a history built into the game that's still impacting the present, right? Um, so that's like the negative side of privilege that I think is a legit conversation to be sure. explored and going, you know. Um, on the other side, I think there's all sorts of forms of privilege that exist. So I think of my Mexican grandfather who Absolutely. worked his tail off out of the barrio and like, dude, and has left a legacy with our family of financial provision and security Absolutely. and some of the opportunities mm-hmm. I've had because of his faithfulness and hard work and things like yeah. that that like dude that and i think you see biblically themes like in proverbs different places of going like dude there are themes that uh dude stewardship good stewardship and good um faithfulness with what you got in your area can have generational impact Absolutely. on those to come for generations to come and so you look at it and you go there's a complexity of both there's the good and the bad and even today you know it's funny like we talk about privilege. I was talking with a friend recently uh, who, who's white, who's in Michigan City. He was talking about this experience of um, he had you know two friends in his office who uh, were both people of color. One was black, one was another. But they were like both making six figures. You know, both making hundred k plus a year. Both driving Beamers, both living in the shade department. And he had, and, and this friend of mine, he's barely screaming by. He's like, dude, I just had to endure this lecture for an hour on how I was so privileged. <laughs> you know, it's just like, dude, the, the category, right. it's not to say that there are not some ways that, you know, like skin color and things can still impact yeah. certain aspects today. But it's like, oh, dude, it's, it's more complex than that. And so, like, I, I feel fine acknowledging that, um, dude, as someone who is, you know, is is Hispanic and all, like, dude, there's certain, I'd call minority privilege that's come with that, right? Like, I've mm-hmm. had minority privilege and going, dude, I got through school on an affirmative action scholarship, wow. and I think, mm-hmm. like, dude, I am for, uh, I, I think there can be a case made for, like, helping uh, students who are excelling, who are coming from uh, environments or backgrounds sure. where they might not have the opportunity, you know, something like that. Um, I have had loads of, I've had quite a few speaking engagements, opportunities where, um, I've been told explicitly, like, "Hey, can you emphasize your ethnicity and all?" Even though, because like they were wanting representation, Absolutely. even though like that wasn't what I was talking about, right. you know. And like, rather than going good or bad, I think like it, it is just going like, "Dude, it's complex." And yeah. so yeah. there are. I've been in a number of environments where I've had coworkers, uh, not here at Redemption Tempe, you know, but environments where they want who didn't do 80% plus of their job, whatever. And if they were white, they would have been like, boom, like a long time before. Mm. But there was concern or fear of perception of, you know, and of uh, them being let go because they're a minority, which is not mm. the case. And so for like six months, I felt like everyone was dancing around and multiple conversations. And then when they finally did, they did make it about race. They were like, oh, this is because, uh, you know, I'm Latina oh, or whatever, you know. And it's like, that's not the norm. That's right. not the average. But it's just going like there are uh, there are dynamics that are more complex Absolutely, when it yeah. in our society. Yeah. And our goal is not to solve yeah. it here again, but to kind of complexify it and go to your Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. And I think even in modern discussion, and like when, we, when we're having a lot of discussion around these topics today, there is like a privilege in being in an oppressed class. Like I know it's like a hard thing yeah. to think about, but like the way that, you know, the conver- these conversations happen on social media um, and, uh, you know, all the different places that happen, there is a privilege of like, well, I'm black, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, and this, and that gives you a sense of, like, power mm-hmm. in our culture. Like That's like currency mm. of, um, that, yes. that can be felt like currency of, of value, mm. that your voice is more important because of X, Y, Z. Yes. Yeah. One of the ways I put yeah. it is victimization is a new form of power. Yeah. Right? That if right. I can there identify, and I think you, you see this in a variety right. of areas, like beyond, you know. Absolutely. Like, uh, so um, even, like, I've noticed it in how people in my generation and more recent generations tell their story. Right? Mm. Like when you meet someone, there's almost a chance to front load. Yeah. If someone has hurt you, has wounded Absolutely. you, has me, because yeah. like I think it generates empathy. And in our cultural moment, and particularly in, and I'd say it's, this is maybe more of a trend in uh, more urban uh, circles that would lean more left generally, sure. things like that, you know. But like if I can, if I can, uh, if I can identify myself in this group identity or category of victim, it gives me leverage to elevate my voice and to push yours down, you know? And that's just yeah. like, I see it everywhere all the time, dude. That's, yeah. Yeah. But no, that's yeah. rooted in postmodern. Like, I'm curious, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys have any thoughts on yeah, kind of like I, some of the postmodern dynamics driving that? Like, yeah. I, the pers- 
yeah, standpoint theory and yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I even just as you were talking, just tying back to, you know, just the the conversation around privilege right now, um, I, I don't think a lot of people realize, but they're being shaped by postmodern justice. They're sure. being shaped by CRT, which CRT explicitly demonizes privilege. Um, and when we when we look at the biblical story, what you opened up with, yeah. even the question of like, man, if pri- if privilege is a sin, then Jesus is guilty, right? Right? Like Jesus right. was privileged. Um, no one had more privilege than Jesus. But you see the Philippians too, yeah, what right. you hit on of Jesus disadvantaged himself for the advantage of others, mm. and I, and I think the for us just as we think through this. If you have privilege, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be demonized mm. as automatically you're the oppressor. Right. But the question is, when we look at the biblical story, God has given us privilege. If we have privilege, the question is, how do you steward your privilege yes. well? How Absolutely. can you disadvantage yourself for the advantage of others? Like we see that Jesus used his disadvantaged himself to willingly suffer so that we could have life, so we could have the advantage of life. And so I, I just think like e- even just that that juxtaposition of CRT would say all privilege is automatically bad. You're the oppressor if you have any privilege um, versus – and the gospel actually reframes it and, yeah. and says, hey, we are God's people. Let us disadvantage ourselves for the Absolutely. sake of the advantage of mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and one of my concerns, just this is on personal, so I'm not speaking on yeah. behalf of Redemption TV. I just think personally, one of my concerns with some of the, you know, dominant conversation in our culture today on things like privilege, on things like implicit bias, on mm-hmm. things like white fragility. So you think of like Robin DeAngelo. Yeah, right? yeah. Is sure. I would say like a lot of that conversation. My concern here, and and you see some of this critique within CRT as well, um, which I'm I'm not CRT per se, but I'm just saying this is. This is this is a live conversation within mm-hmm. that as well. Yes. Yeah. Is that I think it tends to I would say it internalizes, psychologizes, and subjectivizes the emphasis and the issues rather than something uh, for something that's really more external and concrete and material in nature, mm. in my view, right? And so, give me an example. Like, I think it tends to get very the turn inward. It distracts yes. from some of the core external issues by this turn inward. How much privilege do I have? Yes. What like all these corporate trainings and things? You know, the emphasis stay on like get in touch with your inner racist, right. basically. Like, I wanna, you know, and I've got loads of friends who are like, dude, I don't feel racist. I don't right. think racist. I think I actually got racist. Like, and yet there's all this train trying to convince you, like, oh, like, all this energy being expended in the public conversation. I'm basically trying to convince people yeah. that they're racist. I think a buddy of mine who grew up as a, you know, overseas, worked as a missionary for years, and yet um, got fired from his job. He had to go through three trainings that are trying to convince him to sign on the dotted line a statement saying that he was racist. And he was like, dude, I just can't in good conscience do it. He got fired, you know? And he's like one of the most humble, legit, cross-cultural. I've worked with him in different countries. He was like building cross-cultural, you know? And it's just like, dude, that ideology, and I think it's counterproductive. They've shown a lot of studies on how, um, like, or there are studies now coming out, but like on how these corporate trainings on, dude, I, yeah, this is why I'm so racist, like backfire. Like right. it actually makes people more embedded in these rigid categories of mm. hostility and yeah. things of going like, I feel like now I'm being targeted. So that's one thing versus going on the flip side. Uh, so I don't know. So I think you see that in culture with some of that uh, very turned inward internal focus. You see that in like um, the new purity tests and like academia and journalism, mm. and like which yeah. are really less rooted in say like, Hmm. Not like a classic civil rights era, whatever kind of vision of justice, but are really often worded in ways that's more like, dude, do you assent and, and affirm like postmodern doctrinal orthodoxy? You know, like a hmm. purity test. With, or even on the popular level, I think of like the, I don't know, dude, like being obsessed with like, ah, like Trader Joe's labeling, exactly. you know, whatever, or like Dr. Seuss books. or And what I, my concern with yeah. the distraction, I'll land on this, but concern is what is that distraction is from? I think a more focused attention to things like how our class-based things today, for example, in housing, in education, Mm. in criminal justice reform that disproportionately affect black Americans and people of color because of the legacy of the history of discrimination in our country that has real uh, real roots. It's it's embedded today in in a lot of these areas and is really impacting real people. And it seems like it's often, if I'm just going to be blunt, dude, it feels like it's often uh, the privilege, implicit bias, all that stuff feels like it's often... uh, occurring in more like um, affluent sectors of society, yes. trying yes. to 
uh, demonstrate their own purity just and get deal people with their to own say the right whatever, thing. You, you know, just need to rather, say the right thing. Totally. Yeah. Rather than a yeah. public vision of justice exactly. that's sacrificially involved. And I think that's one of the things we've been trying to do with like the, the prayer and action, action groups, groups here. Going. It's like, dude, yeah. let's actually get off our keyboards and yes. get into the trenches of our community. Let's really learn yeah. dude, what the is slow, happening in criminal justice reform, yeah. sanctity of mm-hmm. life here yeah. in Tempe. How do we learn more about it? And how do we engage with organizations that are well? How do we have a practical action plan? Is something that we're going to do together and we're going to be committed over the next year. Yeah. Let's, totally. Yeah, and and that and we're going to pray it. hard about it because yeah. a lot of the you know the, the we talk about race we talk about all these divisions and things that people it's a spiritual battle like we have to yes. you know and so we're going to pray hard about it and we're not just you know we're going to pray and that that in itself is action um, and we're also going to take real action yes. towards um, like doing again like Josh was mentioned painstaking slow work um, of of really you know getting after and and, and seeking a more just society and so. What? Uh, one one of the things yeah. that I was going to say just on the on the oppressed oppressor language, sure. because uh, you know so far we've been talking about like this is language that mm-hmm. CRT has. These are the two categories, but I do also think it's it's important where um, hey, the postmodern justice is a different vision of justice than the, than biblical justice, right. but there are things that we can affirm, um, and mm. specifically we see oppressed and oppressor all throughout the biblical story. Um, And one of the places that that we see Josh already hit on of of the Exodus, we we see language Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. the oppressed and the oppressor in uh, Babylonian exile, where God's people are are in exile. Mm -hmm. Um, We see oppressed and oppressor with with Rome, like in the Gospels in the New Testament, we're like, dude, Rome is the oppressor, oppressing God's people, Mm -hmm. and they're an oppressed minority, right? And so they're— those categories we see in the Bible, and that's right. where I think, once again, if you talk about oppressed or oppressor, that language now triggers people to say, oh, CRT, that's yeah. the, that's the mm-hmm. heretic label, mm-hmm. versus um, we can affirm that there's oppressed and oppressor categories. We see it in Scripture. Mm. But the difference is with biblical justice, um, CRT demonizes the oppressor. Yes. Um, God does not demonize the oppressor. But God actually calls his people to love the oppressor. Um, God does – he never says oppression is okay. Right. Yeah. Never. Never says it's okay to oppress. There's very, very strong language in scripture about the oppressor who is oppressing people. But the thing that God does is he always calls his people to love the oppressor. We see it with Jonah. Absolutely. Going to the Assyrians, yeah. right? Jonah doesn't want to go. He's yeah. like, I freaking hate these people, right? <laughs> and, and and God's like, no, you're you're gonna go, yeah. right? This is the the oppressor. Right. Um, we see it also with Jeremiah, a yeah. famous passage that, that is in the ethos of of, um, of our congregation of seek, seek the welfare. The welfare. Yeah. This is written to God's people in Babylonian exile, written to people who are living under the oppressor. And what Jeremiah doesn't write is. Hey, burn down Babylon and right. slaughter them all, yeah. right? Like, don't don't burn it down. Yeah. He actually says, seek the welfare, seek the shalom of Babylon. We see it in Jesus' life in ministry where right. the Jewish people are actually mad because Jesus refuses to uh, to to fight against Rome, right? right. And, and he actually not only says, I'm not going to fight against Rome, uh, but love your enemies. Hey, exactly. And also, hey, pay taxes to them. Yeah. And so you, you start to see where, like, man, the Biblical vision of justice, God, God says, like, oppression is never okay, but he gives us this, this vision to, to love and love our enemies, and we see it mo- most exemplified in the scandal of the cross. Yes. Right? Jesus dies uh, for people like the oppressor, the Roman centurion, right? right. And, and so you see that we get this vision um, of biblical justice that, yeah, there's overlap in language, and we can affirm, yeah. hey, there, CRT is trying to, to name something and trying to get at something, but the biblical vision gives us a, a far more beautiful and robust vision of what that means. Yeah, and, you know, like that was one of the, the things I was going to say, Josh, that you talked about, like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times— maybe the the topic of justice doesn't want to be broached because of like CRT and all these Mm. sort of things of where, you know, we may not agree with um, where it goes biblically, but Mm. like 
the biblical vision, uh, like the the Bible includes a, a vision for all these things. Like the the topic of justice doesn't belong to the culture. It didn't originate from like it originates in mm-hmm. scripture. Yes. And yes. scripture has yes. a beautiful and full vision. So we don't want to run away from yeah. the topics, right? We don't want to say, hey, culture, you own these topics. It's like, yeah. no, we want to understand the true and biblical vision for these for the yes. for these uh you know yes. hard this hard topics. Yeah. Totally, man. And yeah. here's here's another big diagnostic question I'd raise on that line is what are we is there it would be this is there an underlying unity mm. that we're trying to get back to mm. right is there an underlying unity that See, we're that's trying to a get back to question. right yeah. because i think in the postmodern vision there's not dude it celebrates uh, and it celebrates the diversity the particularity the distinctive you know all that um which there's a place for that too like the bible celebrates diversity as well but it has i would suggest the postmodern vision has no underlying vision of a foundational unity no. right it's it, it's all against all it's heracletian flux dude it's like the mm. atoms and the billiard balls just bouncing off each other right and so there's like perpetual conflict that we can never get back to unity. And I think if you contrast that with the uh, biblical vision, like there is a unity in Adam, like humanity is one yeah. in Adam. Like that's core foundational biblical doctrine. It's, it's, it gets to how Christ's atonement works, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but so we're one in Adam created in him, the image of God. There's a unity to humanity is, is the, the underlying idea there. Um, and what sin does, this was a major theme in the early church, but what sin essentially does is it fractures the yeah. unity that humanity mm-hmm. has Walls. into yeah. hostile and competing mm-hmm. factions. And so here yeah. we my concern with postmodern justice is it perpetuates injustice yeah. by continually to perpetuate us in the all against all fractured one against hmm. the other. Um, now that happens in its discussion, the way it approaches gender and sex and all sorts of things, um, class. Uh, but one of the ways is we've been talking about the race conversation. One of my concerns with it is it can— w- we call like reify. It's kind of fancy language for make rigid these categories that can never be overcome. And so if we go, what is race? Biblically, race doesn't exist. It's mm-hmm. not right. So yeah. if you go biblically, ethnicity. When you talk, mm-hmm. when we read about the nations, the, the word ethne. is ethne, and that is a sense of like your ethnicity of where you've come from. Yes. Now I would say, uh, well, I mean, th- yeah, this is common knowledge. Let's look at it. But like race. It's not in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. But it was more a historical construct that was created for the very purpose of subjugating other people. So rather than totally. ethnicity in terms of where your ethnicity is from, skin color, just kind of this broad, general, blanket category dividing people into uh, these genres based on skin color. And I think it really breaks down at one level. Like race and ethnicity are not the same thing. Skin color and where you come from are the same thing. Um, but what tends to happen is, this would be my take, is historically, race gets created as a social construct to mm-hmm. uh, subjugate some in a power dynamic. Now, what postmodern theory uh, at times can do is analyze that unhealthy power dynamic, but as far as a solution, all it's doing is trying to flip the power flip dynamic, power right? Like, yeah. it doesn't actually, exactly. it can't get back to a unity beneath the construct, so it ends up, I think one of the concerns that many express is it reinforces, again, or rigid, it makes Absolutely. rigid or reifies Race is the driving category. Like now, everybody, that's yeah. everyone's thinking about it. It's on the mind. It's all. Sure. The, it's the and, and there's no. And again, I think that would contrast with, say, like the classic civil rights movement and uh, mm-hmm. uh, even a biblical vision that is going. Uh, there is an underlying unity to humanity that Christ died to get us back to to rebuild mm. in Him a unity. And sometimes you hear that. You know, I, I've had friends say today, like, dude, I don't believe in talk about reconciliation. And and I'm like, okay, why? Tell me about it. And the critique would be, well, there's no foundational unity for us to get back to. And Mm. the legitimacy of that statement is it's often in the context of America, right? Going in American history, we were never united, dude. Like, my ancestors were brought here on slave ships. Like, like, you want me to get back to that? You know, like, what are we trying to reconcile? You know, Mm. what are we trying to consile to get us back to that? And so if your context is American history, then there is no unity to get back yeah. to, right? And so that's legit. But if your context is the mm, biblical story, there is something. There is. Yeah. It's like, no, so I am one that's so good. in Adam with a Chinese grandmother on the other side right. of the ocean with a, you know, a farmer in Brazil with like a, a woman in a slum in Nigeria. Like, right. like there's a unity to the human race and that has wow. been fractured by sin into these hostile yeah. competing fragments. And there may be some aspects of um, the postmodern justice conversation that can help us kind of try and think critically about, dude, what does that fracturing look like? Where is the, yes. how's that history impacted our present? Things like that. But there's no solution mm. because there's no unity to get us back there. And there's no yeah. vision of atonement Really, exactly. like Christ's atonement, yeah. it becomes more, dude. You got to purge. Can't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, no, no. Purge it, push out it's just interesting to me because 
to me to have this conversation without a biblical vision, it's like, why should the power be flipped in, right? <laughs> like, like yeah. you know, if we're just living by the laws of nature, then, you know, the, the whoever's accumulated the most power has won. Well, why should it be flipped? Yeah. If you're on the underdog right. side, it gets you on top. Right. If you're on the overdog side, it deals with your guilt or remorse yeah. about how you, mm. you know, huh. got there. Yeah. But it's, it feels like, yeah, it, yeah. It, the, it's revolution rather than reform. Right. And that usually just tends to perpetuate even greater injustice on the other side. Yeah, and I think one of the things in reading and diving into just postmodernism with justice, and one of the things that is very clear is exactly what you just talked about, Josh, um, but postmodern justice makes reconciliation between groups impossible. Right. Um, but once again, with the, with the biblical vision, um, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And I think e- even in this conversation where uh, Brian Loritz, who's African-American pastor that, that I really respect, and he's kind of one of the leading voices in the multi-ethnic church movement, has done a lot uh, with racial reconciliation. Um, you know, he, he says in this conversation that, there's, that we need to understand that there's a difference between an activist and a reconciler. Mm. And the thing that oftentimes happens with postmodern justice is a lot of activists are created. Right. Um, and it perpetuates activism. And, and what I mean by that is uh, activists focus on the what. Yeah. They focus on what is the problem? What is the issue? We want justice in this issue defined by postmodern justice. And then it stops there. But we as the people of God have not been given the ministry of activism. Mm. Um reconciliation is something different. Being a reconciler, which is the view that we get in the biblical story and the gospel, the biblical vision of justice, reconcilers don't just focus on the what. They focus on the what, yeah. but then they also focus on the how. How to do that it. That reconcilers are not issue-driven, but people-driven. Nice. And, and we've been given this ministry of reconciliation, not just to be reconciled to God vertically, right. but to be reconciled to each other mm-hmm. horizontally and and reconciliation is costly, right? It's yeah. hard. There's forgiveness that, that's involved, right? There's acknowledging sin, all of these things that I think, Josh, what you just said is so good because it, you start to see uh, the backdrop of why reconciliation is not possible with postmodern justice. Yeah, mm, totally. And I'm curious along those lines, Warren, you had some thoughts. You know, we mentioned cancel culture. We're going to go there. Yeah, no, I was going to um, pivot there as well. And, uh, you know, I was actually just going to add on that. It's hard to be a reconciler and just post about it versus, like, you know, being an activist and just <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, that was a pot shot, but hey, here's what it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like, you know, Josh, you talked about there is this pure, sense of, like, purity culture within postmodern um, justice, right? The, the folks who would ascribe to that of, like, you have to think this way, you have to say this way, you have to. And not even that, not even that you need to think this way currently. Yeah. You needed to think this way when you were 15. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. We, we dug up that old tweet. We dug up that old. You're out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, if you posted something that was anyway offensive when you were six years old. Yeah. You have no place within this culture, within this totally. postmodern culture. Yeah, and what was just a sleek week? Yeah, we're there was Alexis like a Alexis and the Teen Vogue, and she, yeah, they she found posted something when she was like and, yeah. seventeen yeah. years yeah. old, yeah. and yeah. it was found, and it was dug up, and I think, in, in you know, and I think in all truth, I think she like stepped away because yes. of some of the the yeah. pushback she was getting, but yeah. that's not the only yes. um, scenario where we've seen something like this play out, and you know, we just. I think even more so nowadays, you see like a big pushback against cancel culture um, of like, oh, you know, it's it's it. What people are actually saying is like it doesn't allow for any grace. (laughs) That's what people are are, are saying, but they're not actually saying it in that language. Um, And I think it's interesting. I think I think there is like two ways to look at it. Right. Mm. Because there is the sense of like cancel culture versus like just consequences. Right. Of like. You do something stupid. Yeah, like yeah. you say, like your words have consequences, and there's a biblical sort of vision for that. Like we are told to be good stewards of our tongues, of our yeah. words. Like there, there, there is care that we are supposed to be putting into the things that we say. Yeah, it's like it's analogous to like when someone's like, "Oh, they don't like me. People don't like because I'm a Christian." Like, right. no, they don't like you because you're a jerk. <laughs> you're <doing right>. Exactly. <laughs> and so you know, if you say inflammatory, just completely outlandish things, um, especially with no basis or anything like, you know, you're, you're just, you're just talking and, you know, you get, you receive the consequences to that. 
listen, that's a part of life. That's a part of living. And it's not cancel culture, right? I think, I think that's in some ways it's framed, but cancel culture is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like we, 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 saw it in just this past week when it came to the, the, um, the teen Vogue um, person, but Many different cult, many different. Um, um, there's been many different times within the past couple of years that we've seen people old tweets dug up, or you know, even things that ways that people may land uh, different in when it comes to politics, right? Yes. They may have a different belief of like, hey, this is the best way to move the country forward. Like, I believe in these policies, or this person um, is the best. You know, it's my choice, and they have been completely, um, you know, they're plat. They've been deplatformed. Uh, yeah. They've been. Yeah. Uh, criticized, maligned, um, and it, it feels like what actual cancel culture is saying is that like humanity is on this trajectory of progress, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are on this trajectory of progress, and in order for us to progress, you have to think, you have to think A, B, C, right? You have to think yeah. of all the different sort of um, postmodern ideals of mm-hmm. what progress is, and if mm-hmm. you don't believe in those things, then you don't have a place in this in in society yes. as it goes forward. Yep. Right. It's like a, um, I know this is strong language, but I mean, essentially, it's what's happening. It's like a, the eugenics movement mm. of like, you know, mm. the, we are creating the new humanity, this new humanity. And this is what progress looks like. And if you don't fit the ideals of this, you're out. You are out. Mm. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, man. So yeah. a couple of thoughts. One is the caveat, like you said, I think there's some stuff sure. that people call cancel culture. It's not. But I think it'd be naive to think, dude, it's not a real thing today. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and one of the areas that's even most concerning to me is in, in, within institutions, like institutionally. Right. So you yeah. look at like within academia and within journalism explicitly, um, there's one site, uh, Colette, I'm not saying like I'm fully on Colette or but I, I've seen some interesting things where they've been documenting it in like hundreds of yes. cases, like journalists, yes, academics have been expunged. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not because they've said these horrible things. It's because they can't in good conscience sign on to some of these statements or these right. things that are, if you really look at it, it's like, dude, it's not just about justice. It's about a very explicitly postmodern vision right. of justice. And if right. you don't uh, completely assent and affirm, then you're out. And I, there's been like the big, Stuff, you know, like the New York Times editor who got ousted because of a PC published. There's been yeah. a number of journalists who've kind of gone rogue or gone gone substack, gone, gone on their own thing just because the, of the editing process. It's just like, yeah. dude, there's no room for some of those, these different views. So so I think it's nice. I, I heard one person say this last year on, online. It was something like one person was going like, if you want to know how you would have responded to the in the civil rights era, whatever, like how you're responding right now is probably a good sign. Mm. And someone else kind of, Quoted that, I said, yeah, if you want to know how you would have responded during the French Revolution, how you respond right now is my biggest sign. And I look like that kind of go, good, yeah. I think both of those statements are, right. are true. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? They got some truth exactly. to them, right? Yeah. Um, so on the cancel culture front, though, dude, I think um, one of the, you know, one of the, well, so concerns, even with, like, say, the sexuality stuff. So it was interesting, mm-hmm. just recently, as we recorded, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, Ryan Anderson, Ryan T. Anderson's book, uh, when Harry became Sal- Sally, got pulled from Amazon. Mm. And you could go, yeah, Amazon, they're a private bookseller. They can kind of do what they want. Yeah, but they control 83% plus of the book right. market, totally. market, market share, market share on books, you know? And, books. like, dude, right. it's sending a message to publishers. In fact, I had a conversation with agent, my agent, so I'm, t- I'm yeah. you know, writing right now on gender and sexuality and stuff. Yep. And she's like, yeah, are you prepared for the fact that, like, your book might not be able to be available on Amazon if you don't fit the status quo. And I'm like, yeah, yeah do I say what I want? But all that to say, there, and I've read Ryan Anderson's book. You've seen like Abigail Schreier and Deborah So's book yeah. on uh, Got Removed from Target. And I've read those, and they're like, they're not Christian books, you know, but from a yeah. mainstream perspective, they're legit. They're not hateful. They're actually like grounded in a robust argument that I think is getting pushed out of the public square right. on a lot of these. And I would suggest, like you said earlier, my, my first, it's it's a new purity culture. Yes. Right? Like, dude, exactly. we're used to purity culture and kind of the conversation around sexuality. Totally. John and I talked about it in another podcast recently. Yeah. Um, but there's also a purity culture as it relates to postmodern justice dogma that's increasingly going. Yes. Yes. And I would say it's because it's becoming a new religion, right? A yeah. new religion. So mm. you look at sociologists talk about religion. There's three categories that they're often used. Mm. Purity, boundaries, and sacrifice. Right? Mm. Purity, boundaries, and sacrifice. Mm. Going, um, there is a concern for purity and alignment with the ideals of the religion or yes. the ideology or whatever it is. There are boundaries, boundaries. around who is in yes. and who is whatever. You know, the, the 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 faithful community, the community of the faithful, the right. the communion of the faithful. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then when transgression yeah. is made, atonement must be made. Either mm. exile or atonement. Right. You either yeah. get pushed wow. out of the community 
or you have to, and I think you see this a lot in the apologies, you know, like, yeah. like the immediate, pull, immediate I was wrong, I'm so right. sorry, I'm learning, I'm, I'm listening, go I'm going to go take these classes, going to go through this thing, you know. And, yeah. and, and, uh, and all, my it's point is not, exactly, my point is yeah. not that that's all bad, like, dude, you should confess when you sure. do something wrong, For you should sure. own it, you know. But it's to say, dude, there is a strongly religious dynamic Absolutely. to yeah. what's happening and a new Phariseeism, you know, and it's more, I think, in my generation, there was a lot of push on folks maybe more on the right. You think of like this right as being like uh, dogmatic or mm-hmm. pharisaical, extreme. But you yeah. see, uh, dude, I'm from Portland, man. I saw it there all the yeah. time. Dude, people <laughs> were like so it, people could be so self righteous. Mm. You know, someone asked me uh, like, dude, do you uh, do you wish you were you were back there this year? Like, no, not at all, man. Yeah. And like just in general for not a lot of reasons. But one yeah. was just going like, dude, to have to put up with the. Um, the smugness, yeah. you know, uh, in yeah. and just because it's kind of a left progressive echo chamber, yeah. you know. So I think a lot of the smugness and Phariseeism and self righteousness and really legalism that it's ultimately a moralism and justification by works. Going here is my I am justified because I ascribe yeah. to these ideals. I live this way. I am within the community of the elect, within yeah. these boundaries yeah. of the pure, and uh, I'm going to prove my insider status by standing the more viciously I'll stand against those who threaten absolutely the purity of the community are going to be hounded and pushed out mm. so just especially nationally and in the online world right now I think you see purity culture it's yeah. like yeah. postmodern purity culture yeah I've been in conversations wow. like when people are bringing up race and stuff like that and as a black man myself I felt on the outside of the conversation I'm like wait a second <laughs> wait a second like, wait. Uh, I've lived this <laughs> yeah <laughs> Totally. And I'm not totally. qualified to Hold have this here. conversation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, yeah. John, where do do we see cancel culture and script? Like, does what what would the Bible, what would a biblical vision have to tell us about camp cancel culture and how we should approach it? Well, I mean, even before that, yeah, for I, sure, for I, sure. I, go I, ahead. Go I want to hit yeah. that, but just what you guys said is. <laughs> You're seeing the fruit of postmodern justice yeah. that dominates and overthrows because even outside of biblical justice, there's other visions of justice. There, there's liberal justice, yeah. for instance, that really pl- places a, a high priority on freedom of speech, right, mm-hmm. in academia, um, freedom of religion. But now postmodern justice views those things as actually a way to oppress people. And so the way that postmodern justice dominates and overthrows is by silencing. Mm. And just like silence the critics. And that's the huge thing going on in academia. All these professors that are not Christians, they they would say, hey, we we ascribe to liberal justice. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of academia is freedom of speech. We have differing views, and that's part of what happens in in academia is we share our different thoughts. We don't agree. And so there was something – I forget what it was called, but um, I had read – and there were literally like over 100 uh, academics, scholars from all over the country that had signed this letter saying, hey, what's going on with specifically postmodern justice in cancel culture, how it's seeping into the academia and universities? Like professors are being fired. They're being silenced. Mm. This is what we've been – like. This is what we've dedicated our lives to is researching and sharing our differing opinions, and now we're no longer able to do that, you know? And so you see postmodern justice, it overthrows and it dominates, and one of the ways that it does is through canceling people, just completely silence them. Um, And so, you know, your question on the Bible, man, I – the irony is – Every one of us should be canceled. Absolutely. Right? Like, God, God did yeah. not cancel us. Um, God should have canceled right, me a long time exactly. ago. Dude, we exactly. all should have been canceled. But yeah. while we were yet sinners, yeah. Christ, Christ died, died for us. Mm-hmm. And the, just the, the verse that is like kind of the, the catchy, uh, I feel like it's the one of the most quoted verses on justice, right, that a lot of times we're throwing around is Micah 6, 8. Right. Do justice. Do justice. And then if we end there, it's like, okay, well, how do you define that? But when we start to talk about cancel culture yeah. and privilege and a lot of these other things, let's finish the verse. Yeah. Do justice. Mm. Love, mer- Love mercy. Love mercy. Mm-hmm. Cancel culture has no vision of mercy, yeah. right? The opposite of mercy is condemnation. And let's, con- let's condemn, let's cancel, let's right. silence. Dude, do justice. Love mercy. And then walk humbly mm. with God. And I think even that humility in this conversation, to Josh's point, man, there is a— self-righteousness, Absolutely. a Pharisaism that is that is happening um, for people who are ascribing um, to, to postmodern justice, but also those of us who have privilege. Yeah. Once again, 
let us walk humbly in that to say, what does this mean? God has given me privilege, but how do I steward that for the sake of others? And, and I think that that's – when we frame this conversation, especially uh, with cancel cult – with cancel culture, that's that's uh, one of the things for me. That passage is, is Micah six eight: Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Right. And we can love mercy because we've been shown mercy, Absolutely. right? Like God is gracious and merciful, mm-hmm. slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so I, I think that gives us something. If we were not canceled, those who have been forgiven much can forgive. Absolutely. If we were not canceled, then. Let us not be so quick to cancel someone else, but, mm. to, but to love mercy as we are pursuing justice, Absolutely. which is the heart of God. It's wrapped up in his character, and it's something that he commands us to do. Yeah. I think even like, you know, we see it in Micah 6 there. You just look at Paul in Ephesians 2, and he talks about like the, the unity that happens. There are no perfect people that are entering into that. It's like grace needed to be given to everyone because we all stand condemned in front of a perfect God. Right. It, if, if, if we were, um, you know, if, mm. if, if we, if we had mm. that view of uh, cancel culture within scripture, like John said, we would, yeah. we would mm. all be, well, we would all be yeah. canceled. <laughs> well, and I'm thinking too, yeah. man, like not only that, but like, dude, God should have, like, I should have been canceled. God should have canceled totally. me. Yeah. And yet there's another form of cancel culture that Christ went to the cross to cancel, to cancel our debt our and to reconcile us to himself. Yes. You know, yes. like he actually saw us when we were yet his enemies, enemies, when we were yet under the legacy of sin and its ramifications in our lives and mm. our society. And God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for the world that had made itself his enemies to cancel our debt and to bring us back into fellowship and reconciliation with him. Yes, Amen. Dude, that, <laughs> that's, different direction that's of the so cancellation. Yeah. yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I man, one thing that that we haven't hit on that that I think would be helpful well, on really quick. Can I just say, yeah. like, man, because this is a new thought for me, just spin out right now. But like on that, like, what does that mean for us? I do believe that that means like. Dude, for us, there was a debt to be canceled. And so I do think as a people of biblical justice, we do need to look at where where is the debt? You know, where is the where are the problems in society? Where are the ramifications of sin? Where is there injustice today? Where has there been injustice historically against ramifications today? We need yes. to not be shy or bashful about calling those out. You know, totally. like Jesus didn't ignore or pretend it wasn't right. there. He named it, he you know, named and, it. He, and then he exactly. went after it. And yet his posture towards it was one of giving of himself sacrificially to overcome Over. the division and the fracturing yeah. and the hostility that sin has generated between humanity and God yeah. and between humanity with one another yeah. in order to reconcile us to God and reconcile us to one another. So I believe we need to be a people who are both able to uh, name yes. sin and injustice and yet give of ourselves sacrificially in allegiance to our Savior to seek to overcome, to bear in its own flesh, its, its ramifications, yeah. to bring mm. people to God and bring people back together to one another through the body of Christ. That's so good. Yeah, that's so good. So, guys, any any final thoughts before we wrap up today? Yeah, I, I would just say uh, in this conversation, it's obviously complex. We're just wading into the waters on some of these, you know, more triggering, hot-button kind of key words in this discussion, but— uh, just as an exhortation to, to our congregation, to the people who are listening, like, let us be a community who cares about justice. Yes. Um, because even the, so often it's in American evangelicalism, sin is so narrowly defined just to the individual heart that anytime you talk about the system and where sin has now permeated, um, that's where a lot of these conversations of CRT comes in because CRT is trying to diagnose a problem that is not just in the individual sinner's heart, but right. there's now social fabric, right, that it's bled into a system or a structure. And I, I would just as an exhortation to us knowing that this is at the heart of God, over 2,000 passages in Scripture, let us be a people who do justice, love mercy, mm-hmm. walk humbly, and let us not be afraid of a word like systemic to say automatically, well, you're CRT. Now I'm a Marxist because there's actually a, a system or a structure that sin has distorted. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. believe cosmic. that sin is cosmic, mm-hmm. that, that it didn't just radically distort our vertical relationship with God, but it has radically distorted our horizontal relationships with others, interpersonally, institutionally, with creation itself. And the good news of the gospel is as far as the curse of sin is found, 
so goes Christ's redemptive work, yes. right? And he's yes. redeeming God's and restoring. Grace Amen. Yeah. yeah, and he's redeeming and restoring all, all things. things. Yeah. And he's given us this ministry of reconciliation to when when there is a, a structural or systemic problem, let's not be the people who shy away yeah. to let people outside of the church address it. Let us be people who care deeply about justice. And give the truer vision for what Absolutely. people are seeking, right? Absolutely. Mm, yes. Amen. Yeah. Uh, my closing thought would probably be, man, there's a, uh, in Isaiah, I love this description he gives of God. I, I can't remember the exact verse, but he says, you know, mighty king, lover mm. of justice. Mm. The, the Yahweh is a mighty king, lover of justice. That's the description of Jesus, like the king of all the earth, a lover of justice who uh, is out to reconcile and restore all that sin is fractured and fragmented and torn to shreds. He's putting it back together through his death and resurrection. Mm. So, uh, as you said, man, like, never let us never shy away yeah. from boldly pressing into justice. I kind of go back to the beginning, the way we opened this, going, we haven't answered all the questions, we haven't covered all, you know, like, we just kind of dipped our toe in the water. Um, our goal has not been to give pat answers to everything, but to just reveal some of the complexity in this thing. Absolutely. And yet, let the complexity of it not, never cause us to shy away from pressing into God's heart for justice in yes. his world. And so at Redemption Tempe, we're going to continue pressing into this stuff. And uh, that may mean that there are some folks on one side who are going to go, oh, you guys shouldn't even be talking about justice. Like, all right, well, then you're going to be upset. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. There may be yeah. other folks on the other side going, hey, you're not talking about justice the way I want it to. You're okay, be, you're yeah, going to be upset, upset too. Um, but again, the best defense is a good offense. If you yeah. have concerns about the way justice is going down or not, you know, like, dude, we want to actually press into God's vision of justice because go back to it again. Dude, that while there are many unhealthy visions of social justice in our culture, biblical justice is social. It deals with God's yes. vision for society, for humanity, and uh, that as the church, we want to be, man, pressing into Jesus's reconciling heart to reestablish the justice of God in the world. That's yeah. great, guys. And I would just build off of what Josh said and, and, and offer the invitation. If there's anything that was mentioned in this podcast, you want clarification, you have a question on, guys, reach out to us. We would love to meet with you and to talk with you. Absolutely. Um, Josh yes. and uh, John, I want to thank you guys for today. I want to thank you guys for listening. And, uh, we'll see yeah, you hey, stuff. really quick, oh. that, reaching out to us. We actually have on our website. You can find yeah, 15 find Minutes with the Bastard. Kind of line up, find that link, set it up, and we'd love to— if you, yeah. Questions, yeah. concerns. Yeah. yeah. And we'll make sure that link, um, as long as the link to the, the information about the Print Action Group is available in, in our podcast description and our notes. So, guys, thank you guys for listening. Um, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the All of Life podcast. To get more information on Redemption Church Tempe, you can download the Redemption Tempe app or you can send an email to tempe at redemptionaz.com.